0: From the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast, this is U.S. Farm Report.
1: Welcome to U.S. Farm Report this weekend. I'm Tyne Morgan and we're on the road from Farm Journal's Milk Business Conference. From monstrous cheese demand to inflation's impact on farms across the country. We're diving into dairy this weekend on the show. The feds' decision to raise rates. Are more hikes yet to come?
2: We're gonna get rates up to somewhere between, let's say, five and five and a quarter before they pause.
1: Higher input and labor costs, but the bright spot is dairy demand.
2: If we look back
3: over the last year, we got some exciting news in October from the USDA, and that was per capita dairy uh, consumption was up 12% over the previous year.
1: It's a snapshot of the state of the dairy industry in our Farm Journal report transitioning the farm at only 50 years old.
3: We were at
4: like at a pivotal point and we came across transition point business
5: advisors.
1: How Todd Malika's focus on family created a transition on his farm. And in John's world.
0: Maybe the fracking boom is over. U.S. Farm Report on the road at the Milk Business Conference is brought to you by Pivot Bio. What if you had the nitrogen you need already on seed? Pivot Bio is the first company to apply nitrogen on seed. The nitrogen you need, now on seed. From Pivot Bio and by Rabo AgriFinance. Discover how an unmatched network of local relationship managers and sector experts can help you confront agriculture's challenges and seize the opportunities that lie ahead. Growing a better world together, Rabo AgriFinance.
1: Now for the news, the big story this week. The weather as a massive winter storm made its way across the country this week. Tractor Ninja in Colorado sharing video saying there was six foot drifts on their property with winds howling at times, making for some incredible scenes at sunrise, though, and Jacqueline Wilson saying she had to go through several barricades to get to her cows. She said the time this video was taken in Alliance, Nebraska, it was 16 degrees and winds up to 40 miles per hour and the snow just kept coming with blizzard conditions across that area this week. So
3: It's going to be a very slow recovery, especially in those hard to reach rural areas where there's going to be considerable blowing and drifting. That makes it real tough for livestock producers to reach and check on the welfare of their animals
6: in the wake of this system.
1: Other areas have seen freezing rain ahead of the storm that shut down I-90 in both directions and portion of South Dakota for a time. But farther south that same system spawned tornadoes, a possible tornado passed through the area of Decatur, Texas on Tuesday morning. This drone video shows the aftermath. And moving east, a tornado struck the town of Farmerville, Louisiana in the northern part of the state. Police in the town say 25 people were injured, some critically after the storm leveled one neighborhood. Tornado warnings were also issued in Mississippi, where mobile homes were destroyed in Sharkey County. Well, USDA rolling out yet another round of funding for climate-smart agriculture. USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack announcing a second round of funding for the Partnerships for Climate Smart Commodities program, the secretary awarding $325 million in taxpayer funding. It involves 71 smaller projects for this round. Vilsack saying this latest round is focused on projects targeting underserved producers and partnerships with minority serving academic institutions the secretary making the announcement at tuskegee university in alabama which received funding for two projects focused on pasture improvement and sustainable grazing
3: we have a unique opportunity and a responsibility to reach out uh, to those uh, historically uh, underserved uh, producers who have been hit hard uh, to reach out to those small size farming operations to let them know that they too can participate fully and completely and a significant uh, opportunity that USDA is providing.
1: This round follows an initial round of $2.8 billion in funding across 70 larger projects, which were announced in September. Total funding awarded under both rounds stands at $3.1 billion. Well, one industry facing major challenges right now Florida's orange producers. U.S. officials say the state's orange production is forecast to be down 36% from earlier estimates. That's partially due to two hurricanes battering key growing regions. USDA predicts about 20 million boxes are expected to be produced this season. In the state, that's a drop from 28 million in the agency's October estimates. The most recent numbers also show a drop of 56% compared with last season. Other citrus crops are also forecast to be down, and officials say the reductions will drive up prices for orange juice and other products while increasing foreign imports. Well, the latest consumer price index shows that inflation is up 7.1%. That was less than what some analysts had expected, but still inflation is starting to impact consumers' buying habits. According to a survey conducted by Morning Consult, cream cheese sold at Walmart under its great value brand was the eighth fastest growing brand this year, competing against such brands as Meta, Crocs, and Adobe. And that shocked many people because store brand cream cheese isn't normally in the fight for the most popular product of the year, which shows that there's still big demand in dairy but that consumers are trading down from name brand items due to price. That's it for the news. Well, as we mentioned at the top of the news, a major winter storm blasted the country this week, but is a bigger storm actually in store next week? We have a check of weather next.
0: U.S. Farm Report weather is brought to you by H&S Manufacturing. With five models ranging from 1,300 to the large 4,200-gallon and the ability to provide an excellent spread pattern, H&S has a top-shot side-discharge manure spreader to fit your operation. Find out more at the H&S website.
1: Time now for a check of weather with meteorologist Matt Urasavik. Matt, you tracked that major winter storm that blasted the West and blizzard conditions in the north this week. But are you keeping an eye on the storm coming next week, and Could it actually be bigger than what some saw last week?
6: That's right Tyne. We're always keeping our eyes ahead and this week ahead could bring Another bigger system impactful, especially for holiday travel, something we need to keep an eye on. But I wanted to start by showing you the jet stream here. Another little system moving through the middle part of the country could bring some rain and light snow to parts of the upper Midwest and the Great Lakes. But notice the cold air still well up farther to the north as we head through the middle and latter half of the week approaching Christmas weekend and all that Christmas travel going on. Here comes the cold air. Just in time, that's going to head towards the East Coast. This is what we really need to keep an eye on because a pattern like this warrants something going on here in the East Coast. Really need to keep an eye on exactly how things evolved through the first part of this week. Could be dealing with a snowmaker there for parts of the East Coast, maybe even the Ohio Valley as well. Temperatures this week, though, much below normal for most of the country, and that's because of that. Cold air going to be working its way on in just in time for Christmas. We're going to see above normal precipitation to the north as well and towards the east coast. This is the area that we're going to keep an eye on as we head through just before Christmas. Again, Christmas travel could be impacted there but not much going on in the southwest or the mid-south of the country. So here's a look at Monday December 19th we've got the little storm system here moving right through the middle of the country may have a few flakes to the north something to keep an eye on but another system moving in to the Pacific Northwest and it's staying chilly to the north a little bit warmer off to the south and east with high pressure in control but as we head towards the middle of the week December 21st the official start of winter we're going to see some snow break out across the north. Northern Plains here back into the northern Rockies. Better chance for some higher elevation snow back there. Some snow showers though breaking out along and ahead of our next system. That's coming with that push of some very cold air, but it's going to be mild out ahead of the storm system with mostly clear skies. Then this is as we head towards the 22nd and 23rd. This is Friday the 23rd. A system dropping through uh, the uh, parts of the Northern Rockies, bringing some snow along with it. Cold air in place behind our system, which now could be looking at snow and somewhat heavy snow. Uh, Parts of the Mid-Atlantic up into the Northeast, right as we inch closer to Christmas Eve, something to definitely pay attention to if you're traveling anywhere in the Mid-Atlantic or the Northeast, or even the Great Lakes as we head through the End of the week. Again, temperatures next week behind these systems, still going to be well below average. That's something that we need to keep an eye on there. And here's a look at the precipitation could still be above normal in the east coast and in the northern plains, but below normal through the middle part of the country, something we will continue to keep an eye on here. But again, keeping an eye on late week and some Christmas travel, something we really need to pay attention to time back to you.
1: Thank you, Matt. Well, the Fed announcing another rate hike this week. So more on the way for 2023. Plus, what impact could that have on inflation? We sat down with our marketing roundtable guests from right here at the Milk Business Conference in Las Vegas. That's next.
0: U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by Pioneer. Looking for the next big yield breakthrough? Then look to Pioneer. By combining industry-leading R&D with rigorous local testing, what's next happens here at Pioneer.
1: Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report this weekend here from the Milk Business Conference in Las Vegas. A lot to cover on the program for our marketing roundtables. A great group lined up today. Dan, let's start about talking about the decision this week for the Fed to raise interest rates. We knew it was coming. It was kind of right on par with expectations. But do you think that we will continue to see those interest rate hikes as we head into 2023?
2: Yeah, Tyne, as we look at today, they raised it a half percent, so we're 50 basis points. We're now at four and a quarter to four and a half, and the Fed indicated that it will continue to raise rates in 2023. No easing or pause from their perspective until 2024. I'm not sure if that's two or three more increases, but I think it's in that, that space, and so we're going to get rates up to somewhere between, let's say, five and five and a quarter before they pause. I think the next rate increases will be a quarter, not a half or three quarters.
1: Roland, what is Rabo AgriFinance's expectation as we look at interest rates into the new year?
7: Yeah, our house uh, estimate spot on with Dan's. uh, The the, uh, consensus at Rabo is that there'll be two 25 basis point hikes early next year and then the Fed will see uh, how, how that shakes out. I can tell you that's kind of a consensus, that's a consensus estimate. Not everyone agrees, right? We definitely, and Dan alluded to this, Uh, Some of us see uh, the opportunity or the chance that there might be a third uh, 25 basis point hike uh, as we get to mid-year.
1: Yeah, and you look at how those hikes are impacting producers in the room, but Mike, you look at inflation too. It has been amazing to see domestic dairy demand not waver much even with inflation and the impact on on the dairy aisle.
8: Absolutely, and that's one good news story for dairy is that as consumers have traded down away from maybe going out for a really expensive steak and still ordering pizza, that we're still in the mix, and you know, consumers have continued to fund part of their lifestyle with greater debt loads, uh, but that doesn't seem to have slowed them down in any capacity. The real question will be as we come into the new year, how do we move through the quote unquote retail hangover of January and February, and how do they respond in their spending habits?
1: Yeah, but Dan, today, is there an explanation on why dairy demand has been so strong and consumers haven't backed away from some of those products at the store?
8: It's, it's not only
2: strong, it's record large. I mean, we are looking at a bangbuster year, 2022, in terms of dairy demand, and I, I think it's based on all the cash that was out in the system, and that people still had some leftover from COVID payments and everything else. It's gonna take a while to, bl- to bleed that off. I worry more about the middle of next year in our work, but as I think about it, I don't think that dairy demand is gonna suffer all that much.
1: Yeah, you look at things like McDonald's and their sales this year, And, you know, talking to DMI, McDonald's, 80% of their 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 menu includes dairy. Great news for the dairy sector. But as we head into 2023, Roland, are you concerned that dairy demand domestically can keep this pace? I think
7: we have to at least keep our eye on it and we have to have some concern. Um, But we still think dairy demand is going to be very, very robust Uh, in 2023. Um, we have to especially keep an eye on the second half of the year where Robobank's calling for a U.S recession um, and and we know real incomes have continued to go down so yes we're keeping an eye on it but you know, we're a global player um, in this dairy deal and when you look at, at the globe we think overall dairy product demand on a milk solids basis is going to be going to stay pretty robust in 2023
1: Mike, if exports can't hold strong, even if we see dairy demand domestically come down a bit, what impact could that have on milk prices?
8: Well, obviously, if, if we see strong exports, that's a bonus to milk price uh, all the way across the board. Uh, you know, but to build off of uh, one of the things that Roland uh, was touching on, one concern we do have is with European uh, uh, consumer demand and how that's going to play out, because we all kind of essentially pull from the same you know, total pool. And if all the high energy prices and the major headwinds they're experiencing there uh, have a big impact on their demand, that could ripple backward and cause a little lesser uh, e- export demand on our front. So um, you know, that is certainly something we're watching, but if we can pull off strong exports, that would be great.
1: Well, the strong U.S. dollar hasn't impacted exports in a big way so far, Dan. So what is your expectation when it comes to exports for the new year? We think
2: exports stay strong. We would say that when the Fed gets to the point that they're going to pivot the next two rate hikes, that the dollar will start to drop based on the debt that the U.S. government has assembled, maybe $31 trillion today, Tyne. So, as you think about the future, the dollar starts to come down. We're actually optimistic on exports. And to the EU, I've got their cow numbers coming down, so I don't think they're going to be the bigger export uh, 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 potential that they've been. So, all in all, I'm generally optimistic. The record beef prices also pay into this because as a consumer trades down, he's going to look to dairy rather than let's say steak or hamburger.
1: All right, well, we're expecting a monster crop in in South America. Is that the case? Also, we need to navigate the turbulence happening in in Ukraine and what that means for global grain supplies and the impact on grain prices and feed prices. We'll do all of that, but first, we need to take a quick break and then we'll have much more right here on U.S. Farm Report.
9: Your next piece of equipment is on machinerypeat.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. Only on machinerepeat.com.
1: Well, prices at the pump are lower, but does it change the trajectory of oil demand? John Phipps looks at it this week in John's World.
5: Just in time for Christmas, gasoline prices have dropped significantly. Now, I'm talking on just... 10th of December at, when I wrote this, and we've learned to expect some volatility. Like other commodities, there are lots of rearview mirror explanations for the decline, but the simplest is just the interaction of boring old market forces of supply and demand. The U.S. remains the largest oil producer in the world thanks to the tight oil or fracking revolution. For the last few years, excepting the pandemic of course when the oil market fell apart, the U.S. has also contributed most of the world's oil production growth. This was the fracking boom, and notice I'm using the past tense. Even when oil prices rose over 120 bucks this year, U.S. producers didn't rush to drill. Instead, U.S. tight oil producers have quietly become another OPEC. Early investors in fracking made fortunes until they didn't. There is something sobering about a negative price that makes investors and boards of directors a little more conservative. The prevailing management attitude switched from drill baby drill to pay baby pay. Investors and CEOs decided OPEC might not be completely wrong. Investors want dividends and executives want raises instead of plowing profits into more rigs. The cowboy days of fracking are probably over. In fact, competing for market share may be a quaint business practice from the last century in many industries. As fewer firms control more of specific markets, Econ 101 principles may not apply as well to price discovery. The question looming for oil producers is, of course, electric vehicles. Farmers may be missing the point with their strong aversion to EVs. Even if we think they are infeasible, all we have to do is not buy them. If millions of urban dwellers do, oil demand will certainly be under considerable pressure. Pumping more oil makes less sense if the number one market could start shrinking. It appears there is a get it while the getting is good philosophy emerging among oil producers. The fracking boom and the resultant lower gas prices were a huge lift to our economy, but that party may be over. You might say that fracking is under new management.
1: Thanks, John. And don't forget, we will post his commentary. You can find that on the Farm Journal YouTube page. All right, we need to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we check in with Machinery Pete tractor tails this
5: week. Hey you mini mo fans this week's tractor tail is for you. We're heading to Kansas to check out a 1967
10: G1000. This is the 83rd one made in 67. They made them 67, 68, and 69. Uh, This one here is I'm not sure, late 68 or middle 68, 69, they went to a nice chrome emblem on the side that says Vista. But back on the early ones, like this one, they just just printed up on the hood. Talk about setting up high. When you get up on that thing, and you can see how much it towers over me, so. Yeah, I first saw these things, 67, I was going to Lawrence High School and uh, driving into Lawrence. Of course, I had to pull in and look at them come home and tell dad we needed one, but that never happens. so. That's kind of where I really always wanted a Vista. I didn't think I'd ever find one. Well, with, with today's tractors, it's nothing, but you know, with, back in the day, you were thought, man, I'm, I'm a big timer. Yeah, you feel like you're on a tour of the world up there. I mean, you can really see what's going on.
1: Thanks so much, Greg. Well, from water concerns to growing dairy demand, what's the state of the dairy industry? That's our Farm Journal Report, as we bring you coverage from the Milk Business Conference. Next.
0: U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report. Trusted, timely, tradition.
1: Welcome back, as we're bringing you the show from Las Vegas this week. Well, dairy demand has been something to celebrate this year. Despite the higher prices at the store with inflation, dairy demand domestically is actually on record pace. But there are still some hurdles of concern for dairy farmers as they enter 2023. So what is the state of the dairy industry? That's our Farm Journal report this week with Michelle Rook.
11: As we look to 2023, the nation's dairy producers are facing some of the same headwinds they did this year. They're just going to be amplified. One is continued inflation with high prices for feed and other inputs.
5: Overall feed costs are are huge, but it goes back to management also and the, efficiency of your herd.
11: the cost of borrowing money for dairy producers is also doubled from a year ago and the Fed is signaling additional interest rate increases early next year in their ongoing effort to curb inflation. If you look
2: at 7th District data, they are now looking at operational loan costs being at around 6.8%. If you needed to borrow money to buy farmland, it's about 6.5%. This is up about 3 percentage points from last year substantially and so whatever your interest rates costs were last year, it's going to be double.
11: The cost and availability of workers is another hot-button issue for dairy producers.
2: Labor. It's labor, labor, labor. We've been
5: talking about labor for a long time. I'm not uh, not very hopeful that we're going to get anything done there.
11: However, some Washington insiders are more optimistic about movement on immigration policy in 2023.
5: I'm one of the few who think we have a six-month window in early 2023 with the new Congress to get a mini-
11: immigration reform through, uh, from uh, both houses of Congress, the House and the Senate. But in the meantime, dairy producers say they'll have to rely on more technology to fill the gap.
5: Robots are becoming more and more popular, and and so it's a case where we just hire, uh, pay for our labor up front, and by using a robot.
11: The other challenge dairy producers have turned into a positive is the goal of carbon neutrality in the food sector. In fact, the dairy industry has stayed ahead of the sustainability curve with some ambitious goals. One is greenhouse gas neutrality by 2050 for the entire industry. Uh, The second is water quality improvements and then water quantity improvements. Those align with the goals of the food industry, like the world's largest food and beverage company, Nestle. But then we went even closer
2: to today and said, well, we need to reduce 20 percent by 2025 and 50% by 2030.
11: To get there, Nestle is working with dairy producers to cost share or provide financial incentives.
2: We then partner together, we create those contracts where that setup is happening and we help those practices come to life at the farm. Um, And we've also interacted with farmers that have already been doing practices, have generated some sort of carbon asset And want to sell that, right?
11: Starbucks has the same carbon benchmark for the 1% of the U.S. fluid milk they purchase annually and is working directly with dairies in states like California to source milk sustainably.
1: To go on farm and to benchmark and understand our carbon and water footprint, to start working on a standard really that goes a little bit further environmental stewardship and works on animal care as well as the social impact.
11: And producers like Arlene Van der Eich are already lowering their carbon footprint, converting biogas from methane digesters into biofuel.
5: It turns it into fuel for heavy duty vehicles. So we have 65,000 cows involved with all of, the, all of the dairies put together. So for every five cows, one fossil fuel truck gets taken off the road, basically. So
3: that's pretty amazing.
11: Despite these headwinds, the dairy demand story has been a positive one, even with inflation. So dairy producers hope that will help support milk prices in 2023 at levels that will surpass the higher price of production. I'm Michelle Rook for U.S. Farm Reports. Thanks, Michelle.
1: Well, feed prices did eat into some outlooks this year. So are analysts bullish or bearish on grain prices as we head into 2023? Our marketing roundtables continue from the Milk Business Conference next.
0: Farmer to Farmer, the Conservation at Work video series features real stories, real successes, real quick. See what's possible at farmers.gov slash conservation.
1: Welcome back to Milk Business Conference here in Las Vegas. All right, talked a lot about demand, uh, exports, all of that in the first round table. But but Roland, let's start off by talking about feed prices. Held very strong this year. We saw grain prices, a really good year overall for grain prices. But for dairy prices in the room, that's been a pain point when it comes to feed prices. What is Robbo's expectation for grain prices as we head into 2023?
7: Yeah, we're actually pretty bullish on grain prices. Uh, We think next year, average-wise, uh, feed prices for dairy could come down by 5 to 10%, and really that's not much, uh, given how high they are today. So we expect corn, for example, uh, to likely average around that $6 range
8: through 2023, just as a good example of a proxy.
1: Mike, what are your expectations to you agree? I, I tend to
8: agree, and as we interface with our grain clients, what we see is, given the higher cost of production, which through the Midwest we're gauging somewhere between five-and-a-half to six dollars on corn Uh, to incentivize that corn planting we're going to need to see prices uh, at those levels to to make it go in the ground and with a tighter balance sheet um, ultimately I think there's enough of a speculative play to keep things afloat at these current levels.
1: Well, Dan, I don't have to ask you if you agree, because I know you don't agree. So what are your expectations for grain prices in the new year?
2: I'm uh, wearing claws today. So, uh, yeah, as you think about the grain markets, we're a little more bearish, and I think it's due to the slowing U.S. export potential. I'm a little concerned about ethanol, which has no growth. And I've got this monster, and I mean it's a monster soybean crop growing in Brazil. So as I think forward, if we don't have a weather problem in Argentina, I believe that next year December corn can trade well under $5 a bushel and that there will be relief to the U.S. dairy farmer. In particular, as all this new crush facility starts to come online in the fourth quarter of next year, meal prices should come down because of renewable diesel. So as we see it, we're starting to turn relatively negative time on on the outlook for feed and grain.
1: Roland, well, are there any caveats there? I mean, you guys said that you were pretty, pretty bullish, at least to maintain at these levels. Um, so is it, you know, is it the situation in Ukraine? Really, what do you see as the biggest support factor for grain prices this next year?
7: Yeah, big support factor. Uh, Mike mentioned some of it. That is the incentive to get it planted. When we look at our models and we look at the, the acreage restrictions in the U.S., for example, I mean, we're, we've got a lot of acres planted. And when you look at historical acres versus what we have today, there's not a lot of room to do a heck of a lot more, so that's one of the most bullish uh, factors. Uh, and I think Dan, Dan mentioned, I think the, the important caveat there. Um, like you said, so far, Brazil, uh, planting weather has been ideal. Um, so that's a piece of the puzzle. We absolutely agree on much lower meal prices um, hmm. for the foreseeable future for years, as
8: all this crushing capacity comes, comes online. Agreed. And I, as, as we look at uh, South America, there's, there's no way around that conversation. Acreage is going to be up. They're going to have a great potential there. We have to get it through the, the next two months of weather to really put an exclamation point on that. Um, and so we're certainly watching that, and I think that's why we've been able to continue carrying a premium in soybeans, uh, despite some of that, uh, that uh, very material fact. Um, bottom line, though, on the corn side, though, um, 80% of the U.S. is in some form of drought right now, and I don't think we're going to be able to get off the, you know, the gas pedal on keeping prices where they're at. If we can grow a great crop in the United States, I can start to get behind some of Dan's comments, but we have a 1.2 billion bushel balance sheet, and we haven't proven that we're going to be able to raise a crop yet. So we've got to get that taken care of as we go forward into 2023, and if we can do that, then we can start to bring prices down.
1: Well, and the drought had an impact on the cotton crop this year, and we know that impacted the amount of cotton seed available for feed and things. But you look at cotton prices today, there's not a big incentive to plant cotton at this point. So where do those acres go?
2: Well, they're going to go to, you know, we're talking about the delta. They'll go to soybeans or they'll go to another minor oil seed or maybe even, or maybe even corn. But, you know, my problem I have today is that Ukraine in the Black Sea is going to record, export a record amount of wheat, and they're following behind corn. So as long as that corridor stays open and Ukraine's offering corn so cheaply now, even with the Board of Trade, Brazil is going to export 7 million tons of corn this month. I think as you look down the road, it's just, we're just non competitive. And so my problem is the domestification of the U.S. grain industry, time and that uh, we need to fall to where the rest of the world is.
1: Roland, what is your advice for farmers in the room today as they look at some of these, these unknowns for 2023?
7: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, somebody said it best. Uh, the train that you can see coming usually doesn't get you. Um, as far as uh, locking in feed, take advantage of the dips in feed prices as we roll forward in the coming months and, and,
8: and do some hedging on those opportunities. Um, that's that's going to be critical. Mike? I, I, would, I would offer the same, and the reality of it is maintain a spirit of flexibility in your risk management. That, that's the one thing I would drive home because I don't know about you guys, uh, but the reality of uncertainty isn't going away uh, in my world anytime quick and, uh, and, and we all share the same world. So uh, be flexible in how you approach these things. Dan, what do you want to leave them with? Everything costs
2: more, including a doubling of your interest costs into your head as a central bank is doing what it's doing. Know your cost, know your margin, lock it in when you can at least on 40 to 50 percent because this is a year that it's not willing to gamble on a lot higher prices whether it's milk or grain.
1: All right, thank you all for joining us. We appreciate it. We need to take a quick break and then we'll be back with much more U.S. Farm Report in just a moment. Well, Todd Malika isn't your typical dairy farmer. At the age of 50 years old, he decided to make the transition of the farm to the next generation, a decision that he says he does not regret. So what makes Todd Malika and Malika Enterprises a successful farm and the 2022 top producer of the year? Clinton Griffiths gives us a glimpse of his operation.
9: A quick stop to see Todd and Louise Malika in Villard, Minnesota, and you'll find a farm rooted in family. I've had to
4: learn how to do this to balance between work and family. And uh, it's something that isn't easy to do. We actually were milking in two different places, you know, through the earlier parts of our marriage. And we decided, well, if we're gonna either get bigger or we're going to go out of it and we decided to go larger and get into a bigger operation.
9: And that's what they did, all while homeschooling now seven kids. Today they milk about 1,200 cows, are raising about 1,000 replacement heifers. They farm 2,500 acres and custom farm thousands more. There's also a precision lagoon pumping business and a sand and gravel pit. Plenty for the next generation to grow. From social media and marketing to managing the calves, five of their seven kids remain active in the operation, which today is as diverse as their children's abilities.
4: We have dairy, we have cropping, we have custom work, but then we also have a gravel pit. Todd says each piece of the operation is a complement to what
9: they've always done.
4: But our custom work, you know, we do a fair amount of straw baling and then forage harvesting.
9: They're also cultivating a culture that's helping build success.
4: I have a simple saying, and the simple saying is this, good people attract good people. From their lenders to accountants, on and off the farm, this team is thriving. We were like at a pivotal point, and we came across... um, transition point business advisors.
9: And in 2011, the Molokas identified values that set a foundation for growth, focused on things like drive and candor. The values are a measuring stick for success.
4: It's it's about integrity, empathy. We have to, through empathy, we not only have to know how the person is feeling, but more importantly, how our customer is feeling, put ourselves in their shoes.
9: Todd and Louise have helped create a vision for the future generation amplified in meetings every Monday morning.
4: We have things simply color-coded, green, yellow, red. We've set up all the parameters. Now the scorecard is something that is for us. It, it's what makes our operation work good or financially profitable.
9: One family pursuing one mission with eyes on the future.
4: It really fills your heart when you can see your own generate your next generation
1: involved in taking up the reins.
9: In Villard, Minnesota, I'm Clinton Griffiths reporting.
1: Thanks, Clinton. I actually hosted a panel with Todd here at Milk Business Conference this week. What an inspiration. All right, when we come back, these record high land prices across the country, how is it impacting farmers' ability to grow their operation? Customer support is next.
5: Why can't young farmers buy farmland?
1: record farmland sales across the country. Just a few weeks ago, we told you about that one sale in Iowa for $30,000 per acre. And some of these record sales aren't investors in making these big purchases. It's actually farmers. John Phipps digs into the topic of farmland this week in customer support.
5: Doza from Fruita, Colorado, asks a persistent question. How can young farmers compete to buy property when everybody from around the globe can buy property in the U.S.? Well, the short answer is farmland is expensive and beyond the reach of young farmers because of other farmers, not foreign buyers. They drive up the market. The monotonous slanted journalism about foreign ownership is always focusing on how much foreigners own, which is less than 3%, and ignore the decades it took them to acquire it. In any given year, foreign buyers are a trivial portion of farmland sales. Farm realtors and auctioneers know the truth. American farmers buy the overwhelming portion, and domestic investors almost all the rest in any given year. Recent eye-popping sales in Iowa, 30000 per acre, and Pennsylvania, 54000 per, were bidding frenzies between farmers, not foreigners. Starting from zero is an abiding nostalgic myth about farms and hard work that no longer has a basis in reality. Farming is about capital, not labor. You have to go back before my generation to find examples of true bootstrap operations. Hard physical work then could substitute somewhat for money needed to buy or rent land. Land is expensive almost entirely because young people years ago somehow got lucky enough to work and save to become the old people buying land today. I have also been troubled by the enduring belief that anyone who wants to farm should have a chance to farm. That desire is enough. There's no similar expectation for other occupations, largely because farming is a zero-sum occupation. There's only a fixed amount of land, and. Every acre has a line waiting for a chance to buy or farm it. Young people can't buy car dealerships or restaurants or become engineers or other small businesses simply because they want to. They have to have money or training, and few find those cases unfair. Nor will financial assistance necessarily make it possible. It is a rare asset that can pay for itself and provide an income stream at the same time. The young person entitlement attitude also runs headlong into another cherished farm value, family farms. We revere the multi-generational farm image even though it is base, opportunity there is based on birth, not ability or free market forces. There are first-generation farmers, but they are so rare as to be guaranteed ag media coverage as an example that can be followed, a theory lacking much proof. Young farmers are priced out of the farmland market because farmland is the best investment by far for
1: other farmers. Thanks, John. Well, milk and dairy, does it actually do the body good? That's next. Welcome back. Well, does milk actually do the body good? The dairy checkoff is now doubling down on the science to prove the nutritional benefits of milk and making a unique partnership along the way. It's all in efforts to drive consumers to drink and consume more milk. You probably remember this campaign got milk while it was iconic. Dairy Management Incorporated or DMI says the campaign didn't drive milk sales. Instead, fluid milk sales have been on the decline for decades. Consumers are buying more dairy as a whole, especially things like cheese, ice cream and butter, but fluid milk has not seen the same trend. So DMI is starting a new collaboration with Mayo Clinic.
3: We've just entered into a new collaboration with the Mayo Clinic. Part of that is a result of National Dairy Council, which I think a lot of farmers often forget. National Dairy Council is part of the checkoff. It does the nutrition research, the nutrition education. So that collaboration is a long-term collaboration as research always is, but it's focused on the role of dairy foods, particularly whole foods, and the science behind it in cardiovascular and metabolic conditions. So that work is being done with a collaborative scientific party of both groups. It'll be a while before we see the research, but it's quite exciting.
1: DMI is also betting big on partnerships with large food chains like McDonald's and Domino's, and it's paid big. DMI says 80% of McDonald's menu includes dairy, but the big success story is Domino's, a company that now is dubbed a cheese company, and one that has built a business on putting more cheese on pizza and we invite you to join us next weekend for our annual Christmas in the country special from raising a reindeer to the perfect tractor gift to an ag teacher that was really unexpected to taking corn from your farm and bottling it and turning it into whiskey. A Nebraska farmer has made quite the business and it could be the perfect gift this Christmas. Join us for those stories and more next weekend from Christmas in the country. Plus, don't forget to register for a chance to win a Farmall Pedal Tractor. Time is running out. We will announce the winner next week, so go to that link on your screen and be sure to register for this gift from Case IH. Well, that does it this weekend. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to rejoin us next weekend as we continue to work and build on our tradition. Have a wonderful weekend,
0: U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast.